Well, good evening, everyone. We are in the midst of the coronavirus, and so I am recording some podcasts for my University of St. Thomas students, and so I'm going to also make them available on my website, marycaprio.com, and so I hope you enjoy them. We're going to do the sacraments of initiation, but I'm going to do them separately. So I'm going to do baptism first, and then I'm going to sign off, and then I'm going to do confirmation, and then I'm going to do the Eucharist. So they will be three separate segments. So if you want to take a break, you can do that in between. And then for my University of St. Thomas students, we will have a live streaming after these three presentations and um, you'll be able to come online and ask any questions about those um, presentations at 7.30 p.m. Um, for the next few Monday evenings if we're not together in the classroom. Okay, so we're going to start um, kind of with an overview of the sacraments, and then we're going to talk about baptism. This, the whole liturgical life of the church revolves around the Eucharistic sacrifice and the sacraments. Based on the deposit of faith, sacred scripture, tradition, and the consensus of the fathers of the church, the sacraments of the new law were instituted by Christ. Sacramentum means mystery or to swear an oath. The mysteries of Christ's life are the foundation for what he would dispense in the sacraments. Think about it. What is the greatest mystery of our faith? The greatest mystery of our faith is the Trinitarian reality, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God is a communion of love. He's a communion of persons. And it is through the sacraments that he shares with us his divine life, his Trinitarian life. The sacraments are dispensed by the church, through the church, who is guided by the Holy Spirit into all truth. The sacraments are by and for the church. They're by her, for she is the sacrament of Christ's action at work in her through the mission of the Holy Spirit. They are for her in the sense that the sacraments make the church, because the sacraments communicate and manifest to men, especially in the Eucharist, the mystery of communion with God who is love. We are the priestly people through our baptism and confirmation and we're enabled to celebrate with the priest, the liturgy, while those who have received holy orders are appointed to nourish the church with the word and the grace of God in the name of Christ. The ordained ministry is at the service of the baptismal priesthood. The ordained priesthood guarantees that it is really Christ who acts in the sacraments through the Holy Spirit for the church. This mission was entrusted by Christ to the apostles and their successors. They received the spirit of Jesus to act in his name and person. So the ordained minister is the sacramental bond that ties the liturgical action to what the apostles said and did and through them to the words and actions of Christ. And so we are, we are in union with Christ in his sacraments. What a gift. The purpose of the sacraments is to sanctify men, to build up the body of Christ, to give worship to God. The disciples were sent to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so to baptize 
is a sacramental mission, which is prepared for by evangelization and preaching. So we evangelize, we preach, and then we baptize. The sacrament is prepared for by the word. And when we say the word, it's by everything that Christ said and did, not just a book, right? We, we love the Bible. We, scripture is foundational for what has been written down about the life of Christ, but Christ never wrote a word. He taught us and then his disciples through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gave us the word of God. But we believe, remember, we believe that the word of God is everything that Jesus said and did. And so both his word and his liturgical actions. Now the sacraments are signs, but they also instruct. They presuppose the faith, but they also nourish, strengthen, and express the faith. When the church celebrates the sacraments, she confesses the faith which has been passed down. There is nothing in the liturgy that can be changed or modified at will by the priest or the community. Only in the obedience of faith and with religious respect for the mystery of the liturgy. Sacraments confer the grace they signify. They are effective because it is Christ who is at work in them. He acts in them to communicate the grace given. The sacraments act by the very fact of the action being performed, by the saving work of Christ. And so the sacrament does not depend on the holiness of the celebrant or the recipient, but on the power of God. But the sacraments also aren't just magic. The fruits of the sacrament do depend on the disposition of the one who receives them. What is grace? Grace is God's life. So we say the sacraments confer grace. What is grace? Grace is God's life. It is his life that is offered for the world. It's offered to us. Grace is utterly gratuitous, completely unnecessary on God's part. And it's given to us through the church, his body, which he instituted. We are made for life with him and the grace and the sacraments provide this to us. The sacraments provide to us grace, which is a power. And this power sanctifies us. It transforms us. It allows us to participate in supernatural life, a life that we're made for. It is in Christ and his church that his will for us is brought to completion in us. Grace introduces us into the intimacy of Trinitarian life. We are drawn into a participation in the divine life of God, the intimacy of Trinitarian life. By baptism, the Christian participates in the grace of Christ, the head of his body. As adopted sons, we can now call God Father in union with the only Son. The grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift that God makes to us of his own life. And baptism introduces us to this life. We are incorporated into him through baptism. We become brothers and sisters of Christ, adopted sons and daughters of the Father. We are sons and daughters in the Son. Augustine says this, Indeed we work, but we are only collaborating with God who works. For his mercy has gone before us so that we may be healed and his mercy follows us so that we may be given life. 
It goes before us so that we may be called and follows us that we may be glorified. It goes before us that we may live devoutly and follows us that we may always live with God for without him, we can do nothing. And so God's grace is the gift for us to live the life that a Christian is called to live. It gives us the power. It sanctifies us. And we can do nothing outside of Christ. He provides us with his life in order to follow him. And so we must follow. Um, We must give our freedom. Now, there have been some heresies related um, to grace. And heresies regarding grace occurred first in the in the very early church um, with the Pelagian controversy. Pelagius was a priest who believed that original sin impacted Adam, but it had no impact for the rest of us. That original sin got Adam in trouble, but it's our sin that get us in trouble, right? Well, that's not what the church teaches and believes. Pelagius believed that man could get to God without God, that within our nature we had a supernatural capacity. Now the truth is this, we're made for a supernatural life, but we don't have it until we receive it from God because it's it's an original sin that we lost that supernatural grace. And so baptism restores that. The other heresy regarding grace comes to us through Martin Luther. Luther believed that grace covered the man, that our nature was completely corrupted by sin in the original sin, and that it is all grace in the sense that our freedom means nothing. The church condemns this position as well. Our nature is not completely destroyed by sin. The image of God on our souls can never be completely erased. It is in and through a life in Christ with the ascent of our intellect and will that we conform ourselves to Christ, but we can't do it without him. It is only through the sacraments, beginning with baptism, that we can begin to be transformed from the inside out by God's life, his grace. The church believes that Christ provides the sacraments to us throughout our lives to journey alongside with Christ, to be nourished, strengthened, and transformed more and more in his image and likeness so that we can become who we are in him. And so the sacraments allow for the supernatural life in us so that we can be capacitated to live in love the way we're supposed to be. We are made, as I've said so many times before, and the church says, with this kapox day, with this capacity for God, we are made for him. And so grace builds on nature. Nature is made for grace. But it's important for us to know that grace isn't infallible in the sense that it'll work against our will, So grace can be lost. It can also be increased in us. It can be refused, though. We can reject God. And this would be to reject the power within us. And so instead of being full of grace, we lack what we need to choose well, to love fully, to become a gift. And so in baptism... 
in baptism, we actually are restored to the original grace of God. That is restored in us. We are given that original grace back. And so we are again full of grace. But throughout our life, when we fall short, when we sin, um, we lose that grace. If we are in mortal sin, think about what a mortal sin is, right? A mortal sin causes death. Death to what? Death to a relationship with God because his grace cannot abide in one who refuses it. He respects our freedom. And so after we've been baptized, we need a remedy, right? And the remedy, of course, is in the sacrament of confession. There is a recovery of grace in the sacraments. There's a recovery of grace in doing good works. There's a recovery of grace in reading sacred scripture, in prayer to the Lord. And so um, the ordinary way, however, is through the sacraments. So can we merit? Can we merit? Yes, we can merit, but we can only merit in Christ. The initiative belongs to God in the order of grace. No one can merit the original grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of a conversion. That is God's gift to us. We can only merit in Christ. There's nothing we can do without him. He's the cause of our merit. He merited first and provides to us this supernatural capacity. We must, however, say yes. So the sacraments, what are the sacraments? Well, let me just give you a definition of the sacrament because it's so important for us to really take this in. The sacraments are a visible sign of an invisible reality that do what they look like they do, but they do it by grace. And so if we look at the sacrament of baptism, it's a visible sign. What's the visible sign of baptism? Well, water. Water's the visible sign of baptism. And what does water, water normally do? Well, water normally cleans us up, right? Cleans things up, cleans us up. And so baptism is a visible sign of an invisible reality because the invisible reality is that baptism washes away our sin. So it's a visible sign of an invisible reality. So it does what it looks like it does, but it does it by grace. It's God's life in us that washes away original sin. And all of the sacraments have that visible sign of the invisible reality that it's actually accomplishing. So we have seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. Other churches outside of the Catholic realm only have one or two sacraments. Again, that's why we call the Catholic Church the fullness of truth, because we have everything that Christ gave, not just one sacrament, not just two. No, we have seven sacraments. We don't just have the New Testament. We have the old and the new. We don't just have Jesus. We have Jesus, Mary, the saints. We have the Trinitarian nature of all reality. We have the Old Testament and the New, we have the fullness of what Christ gave to us. All seven sacraments, we believe, were instituted by Christ, and I'll try to point those out as we go through. They touch all the stages and moments of a Christian's life. If we think about the sacraments of initiation, which are baptism, confirmation, and um, Eucharist, these happen you know, in the beginning of our lives. We're baptized as infants, hopefully, we receive our Eucharist at age seven, our confession 
maybe right before that. And then we move into our adolescence and we receive confirmation. And then in our young adulthood, we may choose the vocation. We maybe get called to marriage or called to religious life or holy orders. And we receive graces in our vocation, right? And then as we get older, we may need the strengthening because of suffering or illness. And so we get the anointing of the sick, the sacraments of healing. And then hopefully we continue with the sacraments um, of confession. And so, um, so the sacraments follow us along really the pathway of our lives and, and help us, capacitate us really, to live the life that we're called to live. Okay, well let's talk about baptism. Baptism is the sacrament that enables the Christian to be born anew. It is the basis of the whole Christian life. It is a gateway to life in the Spirit. It provides to us an access into the gateway of life. And you know, our structure of our church, when they're correctly um, built, really reflect this because baptismal fonts are are often placed at the entrance of the church because it, it reflects the truth that it is through baptism, that threshold sacrament, that we enter the church. It provides access to all the other sacraments of the church. So we can't receive Eucharist without being baptized, right? It is in baptism that we are freed from sin and reborn as sons and daughters of God. We become members of Christ. We are incorporated into the church and made sharers in her mission. It is the sacrament of regeneration through water and the word. Now we are prepared well for baptism in many of the Old Testament stories. If we think about the story of creation, you know, when the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. Here we have really the Spirit baptizing the waters of, of creation, um, making it holy. Um, what a beautiful thought. And then we have in the, in the book of Genesis, we have the story of Noah, right? Noah. Noah is that righteous man, he and his family, who God chooses to carry on. But he is, going, he is tired of the rest of the earth, right? He's, he's tired of man's sin. And so he decides to flood the earth, right? To wash away the sin of the world. And he does this through the water. Noah and his family participate again with the Lord by building the ark. God calls, they respond. They build the ark, and the ark is actually a prefigurement for the church, right? Because it's Noah and his family enter into the ark, and they are saved through the waters that the ark actually protects them from. And so this, this, the flood washes away the sins of the world, and Noah and his family are saved in the ark. Now we also see in the Old Testament story when Moses went to free the people from Egypt and they're, they've just experienced that final plague where the firstborn of every Egyptian beast and man, firstborn son, was struck dead. But the angel of the Lord passed over the Hebrew people 
because they marked their doors with the blood of the lamb. And so they spared the Israelites from death. And then the Israelites were were set free. They were, they were able to go and, and run and, and, and go and worship and be the people that they were called to be in God. And yet they seemed to hit a real obstacle on the way. And that obstacle was the sea. And yet God provides Moses with the power to separate the waters. And so the people are again saved through the waters. They, they make their way through the waters. And then as soon as all of the Israelites are through and the Egyptians start to make their way through, God washes away the sin of the Egyptians by letting the waters flow back and saving the Israelites. And then again, when the Israelites are crossing over to the Jordan, over crossing over the Jordan to get to the promised land, they are saved again by the waters. And then we see, of course, in the New Testament that Jesus is baptized. He doesn't need baptism. Jesus doesn't need baptism, but what he does is he rebaptizes the waters. And he makes it possible for us to again be reborn with him. Now, the name baptism literally means to immerse, to plunge. And this symbolizes the unbaptized burial into Christ's death, from which he rises up by resurrection with him as a new creature. It's called the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit because it does what it signifies. It brings about the birth of water and the spirit without which no one can enter the kingdom of heaven. The bath is called enlightenment because the man being baptized has been enlightened. He becomes a son of light. Those baptized are enlightened in their understanding. There's a difference between those who have been baptized and given the power of the sons of God and those who have not. Now, baptism can be performed by a deacon or a priest, certainly a bishop. Bishop has the fullness of holy orders, so he can perform all seven of the sacraments. A priest can perform all except for ordination. And then um, a deacon can baptize and marry. And so, um, so really it's, it's a bishop, a priest, or a deacon um, can baptize. It was instituted in many places, you know, in sacred scripture. Jesus makes this the great commission, right? In Matthew 28, when he says, you know, go now, go therefore and baptize, you know, spread the word, right? Preach and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He talks to Nicodemus about the importance of being born again of water and spirit. He says that we must believe and be baptized if we are going to be saved. St. Paul says, baptism saves you, right? And so there are multiple places in sacred scripture where we are shown that baptism is the ordinary way for salvation. Who can receive baptism? Well, anybody that, um, that is prepared to receive it. So as an adult, we prepare folks for baptism because they are beyond the age of reason. And so they need to say yes to the faith that's been proclaimed. Now for babies, 
um, they get baptized on the faith of their community, of their parents. And so it's the faith of the parents that believe what Jesus said, that all must be baptized in order to be saved, that they bring forth um, their children um, to receive. And so baptism is really a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies in Christ. Jesus is baptized into the waters. He submitted himself to the baptism of St. John. This gesture of Jesus's is a gesture of self-emptying. In his Passover, Jesus opened up to all men the fountain of baptism. His passion was the baptism in which he would suffer for us all. The blood and water which pour from his side at the crucifixion are types of baptism. Also a type of Eucharist which provide for us the sacraments of new life. And so, um, so Jesus provides to us baptism through his passion, his death, and his resurrection. And he orders the disciples to baptize. Um, and in the passion, he provides us with this gift. Now, it's really quite beautiful if you've ever witnessed a baptism that you really see the meaning of the sacrament in the rite. When I say rite, R-I-T-E, the rite of baptism. At St. Michael, where I worship, we celebrate baptisms during Sunday liturgies, which is really what it was meant to be. And so the whole community gets to participate and witness in a new creation in Christ. And just in the, the rite itself, we can see the meaning and grace. At the beginning of the rite, um, there's a sign of the cross. And it's, it's done on the forehead of the child. And we all make the sign of the cross too. And that marks with the imprint of Christ, the one who is going to belong to him. And it signifies the grace of redemption won for him on the cross. There is then a proclamation of the word. This enlightens the assembly and the person to be baptized, right? With the revealed truth and elicits the response of faith, which is inseparable from baptism, the entryway into new life. There is a liberation of sin. There is actually exorcisms that are performed in the baptismal rite because there is a liberation from sin that's happening right before our eyes and from the instigator of sin. There is an invocation of the blessed trinity with triple immersion or a triple pouring of the water. There is an anointing with chrism which signifies the gift of the Holy Spirit that we've been anointed. We are the chosen ones. That's what it means to be anointed. The baby usually wears a white garment, signifies that the person baptized has put on Christ, has risen with Christ. And then the newly baptized or their godparent is given a candle that signifies that Christ has enlightened the neophyte. In him, the baptized are the light of the world. The baptized is now a son or daughter in the sun. So the meaning and grace seen in the right happens with the sign of the cross it marks our imprint of christ at the one we're going to belong to there's a proclamation of the word that enlightens the candidate in the assembly with the revealed truth it elicits the response of faith there's a liberation from sin um, 
there's a consecration of the water by a prayer of epiclesis or a calling down of the Holy Spirit. There's an invocation of the Blessed Trinity with the triple immersion. There's an anointing with chrism because now that he is the anointed one, the white garment signifies that this person has put on Christ and the candle signifies that this person has become a light of Christ for the world. And so, ladies and gentlemen, baptism is necessary for salvation. Baptism assures entry into eternal beatitude. That is why the church takes care not to neglect the mission she has received from the Lord, to see that all who can be baptized are reborn of water and the Spirit. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism. But God is not bound by his sacraments. So the ordinary way to be saved is to be baptized and then to work out your salvation throughout your life in fear and trembling with the power of God through his grace. But there are some people that will be in heaven who were never baptized because God is not bound by his sacraments. There surely will be people who have responded to the grace of God that they have received in their life and have responded well. And so they too will be brought into eternal beatitude. How about aborted babies? What about young babies that die before they can hear God's word or the good news? No, God is a merciful God. And so he will draw all men to himself who have responded to the grace that they've received in their life. Now, the church believes that baptism is the ordinary way, but there's also what we call a baptism by desire and a baptism by blood. Baptism by desire is when someone deeply desires baptism. And I, I tell my, my adult unbaptized that are seeking baptism in the church, they're called catechumens. I tell them, you know, if something happens to you before you're baptized, you will be baptized by the Lord himself because your desire for him will be your entry if you go to the Lord before your baptism. And so a baptism by desire, very beautiful thought. And then there's baptism by blood. For those who have died for the faith, martyrs who have given their life as Christ gave his life for us, they too will be in the kingdom with our Lord at the moment of their death. Now, what are the graces of baptism? Well, water symbolizes which act, what actually occurs. It's a washing. We're forgiven from all sins, original and personal sins, as well as punishment for sin. Nothing remains which would impede the newly baptized entry into heaven. The consequence of sin is separation from God. And in baptism, we are reconciled back to the Father. Now, the temporal consequences do remain, that is, we still have an inclination to sin. It's called concupiscence, um, a tinder for sin. You know, baptism, I like to describe it as, as kind of being a, a removal of a foreign object, right, from, from a person's body. But oftentimes that foreign object has caused some damage because it wasn't supposed to be there, right? It's kind of like taking a nail out of somebody's hand. Um, Baptism removes the nail, but what remains is an open wound. And so we have this inclination that must be healed as well. And, and we, we heal that inclination to sin 
um, by the remaining sacraments as well as um, a response with our will and our intellect to do the good. Um, we are made a new creature in baptism. We're given a new birth in the Holy Spirit. We're adopted sons and daughters of the God. We, we are partakers in divine nature. We are a member of Christ and we are co-heir with him. We're given the grace of justification in baptism. We are enabled to love God, believe in him and hope in him. We're given the power to live and act under the promise of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The whole organism of the Christian supernatural life has its roots in baptism. So what happens in baptism? We're forgiven from our sin. Original personal sins, all consequences due to sin. So if we died five minutes after we were baptized, we're, we're right at Jesus's side. We're given a new birth in the Holy Spirit. We are um, partakers in divine nature. We're given sanctifying grace and we're incorporated into the church. And now we can receive all of the gifts of the sons and daughters of God. Now, baptism also gives us what we call an indelible spiritual mark. So we are marked with Christ. We belong to him and nothing can change that. Even if we turn away, nothing can change that. Even if we, we end up in hell, we will be marked with the sign of Christ. Now, baptism is given once. We don't repeat the sacrament of baptism. So if a Protestant wants to become Catholic and they've been baptized with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do not rebaptize them. We bring them into the church and we teach them what baptism means. We teach them what we believe as Catholic Christians and then we confirm them and allow them to join us at the table of the Eucharist. Um, and so, Baptism is the sacramental bond of all Christians. It is the bond of unity. And so baptism, ladies and gentlemen, is the most important sacrament because it makes us sons and daughters of the Father. It restores what was lost in original sin. And now it allows us to be in the house of God, to be a member of his family and participate fully in his divine life. Thank you.